This week on Twip Weddings, photographing destination weddings conjures up images of photographing a beautiful couple on a white sandy beach at sunset, followed by a few days of sipping Mai Tais while relaxing next to the pool. But the reality is that destination weddings are a lot of hard work and require considerable planning and resources to pull it off. Today, we'll share our thoughts on photographing destination weddings, including advice on pricing, packing, shooting, and getting home with the images safely intact. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. Uh, once again, my name is Bruce Clark, and I am joined this week by Mr. Robert Evans. Good day, sir. Good day. No Brian this week. He's uh, he's on assignment. Actually, I blew it. I didn't send the invite out to him, and he's in another meeting. But that's that's on me. <laughs> so it's we, just you and me hanging out. We today. were we were secretly excluding him. Today. Yeah, secretly excluding him. Yes. So. <laughs> So uh, this week, we thought it would be good uh, to chat about uh, destination weddings, which you have plenty of experience with. I have a little bit of experience with, but uh, we thought it'd be a good topic to cover for our audience. And I think, you know, most photographers probably dream of photographing a destination wedding in an exotic location, but there's a lot more to consider than just wondering how much sunscreen to pack. Um, so this week, we're going to offer up our advice for photographing destination weddings. But before we do that and get into the show, we want to remind you how you can participate in the show. We've got several ways to interact with us. Um, first, you can visit the website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. And there you'll find the show notes uh, for each episode. And in those, we will put links to everything we talk about, including our picks and all that good stuff. Um, you can also leave your comments and feedback for us in the comments section. Um, if you have a question or a suggestion for a topic that we could cover in a future episode, you can email us. Our email address is twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you prefer using social media, just add the hashtag twipwed to your post and we'll keep an eye out for those. And if you want to follow us, uh, probably the best place is join our Facebook group. Which Facebook. is just jumping. It's jumping. We got people in there all the time. Questions being asked. And, uh, you know, I know Brian is in there. And Robert, you've been in there answering questions. And I've been in there answering questions. And we get some great um, suggestions from our audience. Um, like the other day, somebody wanted to sign up not through iTunes. So I had to uh, give him a good idea to set up a feed burner um, account so you can subscribe using whatever podcast subscriber you use. So be sure to join us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash twipwed. So let's jump into the show. What do you say? Let's go, eh? Let's go, eh? Thank you for supporting Canada. So this week, I say we wanted to talk about destination weddings. And I think, you know, photographing destination weddings kind of conjures up images of, you know, photographing a beautiful couple on a white sandy beach at sunset, you know, followed by a few days of sipping Mai Tais while relaxing next to the pool. But I think you and I both know the reality is that destination weddings are really, they're a lot of hard work. And they require considerable planning and resources to pull it off. So today we're going to share our thoughts on photographing destination weddings. We're going to talk about pricing them, packing, shooting, and more, most importantly, probably getting home, uh, you know, safely with the images safely intact. Correct. So you are probably the expert among amongst us in terms of destination weddings. Um, so Tell me, how often do you typically travel, and what do you consider a destination wedding? First off, like, I think that's a, a good. I think that's a good, you know, in today's world, uh, you know, because of the internet, um, people get married in a lot of places and, you know, you get people coming into your town. So it's a destination for them, but not for you. 
um, you might go over a state and you might live in New York, but you drive to New Jersey. Is that really a destination wedding? You know, I mean, there's those issues. I don't think it really matters. Um, I think like you explained it, most people think a destination wedding is a sandy beach and a, but it's basically getting to go someplace fun and different and exotic, uh, than you're normally used to, I guess, in your little local town, the length of travel, I think doesn't matter. Um, but I can go back to my first destination wedding and put myself in the place of those people who aspire to do one. So I can take myself back to my first destination wedding and uh, remember, you know, how flattering it was that, wow, somebody wanted to take me. Mine was in Hawaii um, and somebody was willing to, I'm like, you're going to fly me to Hawaii to shoot your wedding. Wow. That's really awesome. Nice. Where were you Um, living at the time? I was in Los Angeles. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that's still a five, six hour trip. Uh, I think I had been to Hawaii myself, but um, it was actually was sort of, it was like a friend of a, of a group of friends that I knew. Um, and the guy's like, look, I'll pay for your travel. And, um, you know, and they booked just a, you know, normal package at the time at the studio. It was actually, I was working for another studio. It was the last studio that I worked at before I started my business. So this was prior to 1994, probably 93, I would, I would guess somewhere in that range. And and you have to remember that was pre-internet. Uh, those of you not old enough to know what that is. What um, is that? What's that grandpa? <laughs> and, uh, it's like, instead of putting BC on things, we put what PI pre-internet. pre-internet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the destinations that I did prior to the internet, more or less, and even after, was a lot of time was people that lived in Southern California that were getting married someplace else. It was very rare that I'd have somebody in New York, you know, somehow hear about me and say, oh, I want to, you know, I want you to come to New York and do a wedding. So anyway, going back to to that mindset, it is very flattering and it's fun and you can look at it as a free vacation. and. The excitement of getting to shoot in a brand new location that's beautiful and tropical or wherever it is. And that's great, especially in the beginning. Um, if you're single, you're not married, you're not attached, you don't have kids, um, you know, you are free to just jump and go do those things. And of course, to get experience, you know, you're probably most willing to do that um, at a lower rate or the client just playing your travel or a little bit of your fee, whatever it is. Um, I encourage you by all means, go do it. Now, speaking from the guy that travels mm, seven to 10 times a year, not all for necessarily destination, but a lot of it is. um, Because now I shoot a lot in New York and California. And um, I mean, I've been all over. I've, I've Europe, Italy, France, uh, Guatemala, Costa Rica, uh, even Canada, eh? Oh, all the way up here, eh? Montreal. (laughs) Um, I mean, and a lot of it is, of course, within the continental United States. Um, I mentioned my first wedding was in Hawaii, our first destination, and I've probably done 10 since then. Um, But after a while of traveling, you'll find that, of course, I still get excited about going someplace and shooting someplace new. As a matter of fact, I leave in a week for a wedding in Cancun, 
um, which I was down there twice last year. So I'm familiar with, you know, with coming in and out and those things. There's just certain things, of course, that you start to learn. But I mean, let's start off with um, after a while you do enough of them, you start to realize like, okay, well, it's fun to, you know, go on the vacation and do that. But even me going to Cancun, for instance, it's four days of my time. Yeah. It's not one day, which is the first thing to remember. You know, even if you fly down on Friday, shoot a wedding on Saturday and fly home on Sunday, that's three days of your time. And it's no fun. So you have to start charging for that. Yeah. Um, now, the way I do it, um, you know, you can charge for multiple days. And my destination rate is 10000 a day with a two-day minimum. So even if I did it that quickly, I usually will take that weekend and make it four, which is I'm doing this this way. So uh, I'll fly down on Thursday. I'll be there Friday. I shoot the rehearsal dinner Friday night, wedding Saturday, sometimes brunch Sunday, and leave later on Monday so that I have a little bit of time to myself in that uh, if I fly down on Friday, if I fly down, I don't actually like to fly on the day. If I have to, if I have to shoot the rehearsal dinner, if I'm, you know, they really want that, then I'd fly down Thursday and then I'd have part of Thursday. I'd have all day Friday to kind of do what I want. I work Friday night. I work all day Saturday. I work Sunday morning and then I have Sunday afternoon and Monday morning off to sort of do what I want. But even on a travel day like Monday, even if I leave later, it's not a relaxing day. Like you get to, you know, you have to think like, oh, well, I don't have, I have a six o'clock flight, but you're gonna have to be out of your room at 12 or one at the latest. Um, so then you gotta pack up, put your stuff, and you're sort of like, you know, in that uh, transition period. So you can't just totally react. So those are just some of the things that you have to think about. Now, going back to how I charge for it, if I say I charge them 10,000 a day, two day minimum, um, but I will tell them I will photograph everything for you over your weekend up to three days. So sometimes there's even uh, like maybe on Thursday night, there's a welcome dinner, Friday nights, rehearsal dinner, Saturday wedding, Sunday brunch. I don't nickel and dime them for any of that stuff. I've shot golf, I've shot girls in the spa, I've shot, you know, all that stuff. Now. I've done, you know, bigger weddings, bigger clients where I've been in a location for 10 days mm -hmm. and I've charged for eight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that type of client understands. And I have other guys, of course, I have more than, you know, it's not just myself. It's, my, you know, I've, I've had as many as five or six people on some of these weddings because of what we have to cover. Um, but you have to charge accordingly for that. You have to think about all the things that you're not thinking about, you know, that you make sure that you need to charge for when you charge. And, and, and I say that's my rate, but plus expenses. So they have to pay all my airfare. They have to pay, pay my hotel transportation to and from the airport. Um, I charge a per diem a lot of the times um, because you know, per diem is not just food, which a lot of people think it is, but you're like tipping and taxis and, you know, even like within the scope of the job. Um, if you have pets, let's say you got to kennel your dog or, you know, all those things like people don't, you know, you've got to charge for all that stuff. And again, maybe not on your first one, but I guarantee you after you, that comes out of your pocket and you're like, wow, that was like kind of expensive. That wedding yeah. it cost me money, yeah. you know? So that's kind of what I'm talking about. You get a real good jest and I 
gist and I gave you something to think about. Um, but destination weddings aren't as glamorous as they may seem uh, if you do them sort of regularly. Yeah, particularly if you're going to like you're in your case, you said, you know, you've been to Cancun, you know, multiple times in the last little while. Right. So it it you know, it might be special the first time, maybe the second time by the third or fourth time, it starts to become less special and more of now it's, you know, now it's just, I'm going back to the same place that I've shot a bunch of times. So it's no longer maybe special for you. It's still special for the couple, still unique for them, still a destination for them, but maybe not as much for you. So I think, yeah, a lot of people also, you know, think, Oh, it's, or at least on the client side, they sort of think, Oh, well, you're getting a nice paid vacation to come down, but it's not really a vacation. You're not choosing the the destination. You're not choosing the time when you're going to go, Chances are, unless you're, unless, you know, like if we go, it's usually be me and my wife. So I would at least have somebody there with me that, you know, yes, we could make a little holiday of it, but if you're going down just by yourself, um, it's not a holiday for you. You're going down with their, maybe people you don't know, it's, it's their family there. So it's not really a, a vacation per se. Yes. Maybe you get a couple of days to lay next to the pool or dip your toes in the water for a little bit, but really it's, it's a lot of work because there's a lot of work leading up to it. But I think the key thing that you touched on um, when you charge the day rate is, is I think it's that opportunity cost as well, right? So you have to consider, yes, you might only be there for the wedding one, maybe two days. If you're doing like a, a trash to dress session or a day after, or like you do the rehearsal dinners, but it's that opportunity cost of when you're not, home doing, you know, working on your own business, right? You're traveling, you're right. Or ask yourself this question. If you could book two weddings on a June weekend in your local town and let's say you charge, you know, okay, let's say I charge them an ounce, but, but my local rates are a little less expensive, but let's say I make, you know, $8,000 one day and eight on Saturday and $8,000 on Sunday, Okay, so that's $16,000. That's still less than the 20, but I didn't have to go anywhere and exert my time and I was home with my family and, you know, all of those things. So again, ask yourself the question, like if you're just charging for one day and you charge $5,000 and you tell the client, but you turn down work at home, you, you agree to do this wedding, but it's a busy weekend and you could charge $5,000 on Saturday and $5,000 on Sunday and possibly even something on Friday. Well, you just screwed yourself out of 10 grand if there were, you know, it's a weekend. So you have to think about what money could you make if you were not traveling? Uh, you know, you just have to ask yourself those questions and do what's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it depends on where you're living too. Like, I think, you know, if you're in the States or different, different areas, you could probably do those little charters, right? You could go in for a day, shoot the wedding and come back. Whereas up here in Canada, a lot of them, uh, particularly destinations that people go to, they're often these one week, uh, package things, right? So you kind of can only go for a week. You can't really go for less, um, to some destinations. They're starting right. to get some more opportunities, but again, it depends where you live. Like here where I live in Edmonton, there's, there's less, there's, you know, it's not bad, but there's some less choices. So some destinations, your only option is to go for a full week because that's, that's all they run in terms of flights. Right. So, and let's say you have to consider your, your weather. I mean, let's say you lived in New York and two weekends ago when they got all that snow and all three airports were closed and you planned on flying to Cancun on Friday, shoot the wedding Saturday and come back on Sunday. Uh, somebody would have been hosed. Yeah. So how do you plan for that? That's a good question. How do you, like you said, you like to get there. If possible, you like to, to arrive at least the day before you're supposed to start shooting. Now that's obviously just to kind of get in and get, 
refreshed and relaxed because it can be tired. You know, it can take a lot out yeah. of you to travel. Yeah. I, I think I do that for two reasons. One, you know, selfishly, of course, for my own reasons. So I get a little bit of time by the pool and maybe walk around, take pictures, enjoy the environment that I'm in. But yeah, like if I have to shoot on Friday, I definitely do not like traveling. You know, if I'm doing rehearsal Friday night, I don't want to travel on the day that I'm actually supposed to shoot because delays, even if it's two hours can really, you know, then it just adds that extra stress. So I want to get in there the day before and then I don't have to do anything until Friday night. So great. I can sit around the pool. I can walk around take photos. I can do whatever, but I know that I'm there and it does allow a little bit of hedge time. Should your flights be delayed for whatever reason. Um, now, if you live in one of those areas where, you know, you get a lot of snow, especially in the winter and anytime it's possible, you know, I would even suggest, flying out a day or two early and you know making a little vacation and you just have to sell it to the client that way like look you really want me to come to cancun to do your wedding and i live in winnipeg yep it gets a lot of or winter peg as i know you guys call it yes and you know that you get a, a lot of snow there and that's very possible um but the wedding saturday like i think about leaving on on thursday you know even if i didn't have anything to cover friday night so even if you make it in one day you have you know all of friday to yourself and you shoot the wedding on saturday and then you know sunday maybe you have off and you go home monday or you have to get back whatever your thing is but definitely traveling down there uh you need to allow you need to allow time i did um I, I did when I shot Shania Twain's wedding, it was over. It was on new year's day. I forget how many years ago ago that was now, but, um, it was right around the last time New York had a huge storm and all three airports were closed. And this was, you know, a week after that. And, uh, we almost you needed know, to make a very long story short, Mr. Cause I had to fly from LA to New York, New York to Puerto Rico. And okay, so you don't, but New York was the, the caveat. There was no, you know, you'd think from LA, you'd fly to Florida and then down to Puerto Rico, but no, that's not how they do it. Um, so we almost missed one of our flights, although flying through cities that do get snow too. You know, if you're flying through New York, Chicago, Chicago yeah. you know, places like that where you know it's definitely possible. Yeah. And it's not just weather that can happen too. Obviously weather is a big factor, but then you can also have, you know, mechanical breakdowns can happen. Correct. Um, you know, there's other things that can, that can interfere with travel. So we even, even when we're doing, you know, quote unquote, a destination wedding, we shoot weddings here in the mountains. It's a very popular, um, you know, destination for a lot of people. They'll go to Banff or they'll go to Jasper and have their wedding there. Well, that's for us. That's about a four hour, four to five hour drive from where we live in Edmonton. And so again, we usually, you know, the way we position it to our clients is we'll typically want to get there the day before. Um, to avoid any possible issues because, you know, you don't want to have, particularly if it's a win in the winter, um, the roads, right. the highways can be unpredictable. We always tell them like, would you rather have us there the day before and know that we're there and it only, you know, it only costs you a little bit more and then, you know, plus some expenses as far as hotel on that rather than taking the risk that if something happens on the way, uh, you know, to us on the way down or there's bad weather or traffic or roads get closed or what have you then we're not there. At least if we're there the day before, you know, we're there. Or if there is a delay, then we've got some wiggle room that, you know, maybe we get there the next day, the day of, but at least we're there. Right. So 
We, that's right. how we always kind of position to our clients. And that's so how you have to sell it. You know, you almost like you tell your client, like, look, you're, you're paying for an extra day for me, but you're kind of, it's like buying insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all paying insurance on our houses and our cars because something might happen. So if you put it in that terms, like, Hey, you're just, you know, it's going to cost you an extra $500 to bring me down a day early, but that's your insurance that I am there and that you're going to have amazing photos because what are you going to do if, I get delayed and you're scrambling, you know? Yeah. And plus it's a lot, it's a long day already, right? If we're going down to shoot eight to 12 hours of a wedding, you know, to tack four or five hours of highway driving onto that and then to just show up and be, you know, kind of be on is that's pretty tough. Right. Right. So even and, and for some of the, that's a good point. Like for some of the weddings that I do, I charge travel days as well. And so part of my expenses, because if I'm flying, eight hours or so to get to a location. That's a whole entire day of my life. And so some of you might ask what travel days are. Well, travel days are very common in the corporate world. People charge for their time to fly. It's usually the, the I think the standard going rate is about half your day rate. So yeah. uh, if you were to charge, and I've done this several times before, even if I'm charging $10,000 a day, it's $5,000 there, $5,000 back, and the clients pay it. Now, granted, it's the, it's the right client that'll pay that. Right. And, uh, and, you know, and, and again, let me back up to you. You hear, you hear what I charge, and I'm flexible sometimes on those rates depending on when the wedding is, how far out the wedding is, how far I have to travel, you know, all of those things. You know, if I get a last-minute destination wedding – and you know the client's like well you know or the client's like you know they get it they're like oh we didn't realize it was going to be 20 grand we figured it was going to be 15. okay well let's talk you know like i don't want to lose the job over five grand especially if it were a last minute thing right so again i think again the bottom line is that you just have to decide what's best for you um you know i think one thing like i've actually considered doing this in my business is is like hotels do is seasonal rates you know, we're all usually kind of sit around in the winter. It's slower, even if you don't have weather or not generally in most locations, but it just slows down, you know, basically December through March. Um, you know, you could charge less of a fee at those times or offer a 20% discount for booking on those dates. It just, you have to do what works for your business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Like obviously it's a much different story if they're trying to book something like that in the middle of summer when it's your peak, it's your busiest season, right? So you may not be as flexible. Um, but if it's, you know, middle of winter and you don't have anything on the calendar, yeah, you can be, you can maybe afford to be a little bit flexible. Right. But you do have to consider, you know, that opportunity cost of what if I, you know, what can I be doing here at home? What other business opportunities, what other work could I be generating at home? instead of being in an airport or on a plane that day for that client. So that's an important part when you're kind of figuring out how you're going to price a destination, a destination right. wedding. Right. And you're right. I mean, the time, like you just mentioned time, you know, I get a call, I'm getting married in June of 2018 or let's say 17. Cause that's more. And, but I only have a $10,000 budget. I'm like, well, my rate is 10,000 a day with a two day minimum because I know I have more than a year or so to book that. Now, if they call me today and said, hey, I'm getting married in June and I still have the date open, I only have a $10,000 budget, you know, then I'm open, then I'm going to negotiate. I'm still going to want them to pay travel or any of those things. But, you know, I'm going to open the conversation like, all right, well, this is what my normal rate is, but I'm willing to work with you. Let's see if we can meet in the middle. 
Yeah. So question for you on the, on the travel aspect of it. So you obviously get them to include the travel and the airfare and the hotel. Is that something typically that you'll, that they will book or do you prefer to book that yourself and they just reimburse you? Like, do you just stay at the same hotel where they're staying or how does that, how does all that work? I actually thought about that tip earlier. Here's the biggest tip I can give you about destination wedding. First of all is insist as much as you can other than laying on the ground, kicking and screaming and throwing a tantrum that you stay at the resort where the wedding or the event will take place because yeah. I've done both and I've been put it stuffed close by because, Oh, well the rooms here are $600 a night. We're not going to pay that for you. But by the time you take taxis and it, it adds like a whole extra, like you got an hour, you got to like leave your hotel to get over there, to be there on time to, you know, just insist on it. You know, say, yep. this is how we do it. Even if you've never done a destination wedding, lie and say, well, this is how we do it. You know, with the destination weddings we've done in the past, they're not going to check your credentials. Um, just say, you know, I insist that I'm at the hotel because it's the most convenient. I'm there, your access, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's, that's number one. What else you asked? You asked. Do you, do you have them book it or do you, do you oh, book it yourself yes. and then they just reimburse you? And again, I've done both, uh, in my world today, I choose to book the airfare myself. Uh, yeah. one reason, because I'm a Delta frequent flyer Meyer, I get the credit for spending the money with Delta. Uh, and I get, you know, I then I'll buy some super cheap ticket where I have to go to 10 cities before I get there. And it's 15 hours of me flying. Um, right. you know, yeah. yes, the client may say, look, I only, you know, I'm not going to let you fly first class. I'm not going to let you. You know, do yeah, those you have to be reasonable with it, but right, you have to be reasonable, but, but I control, I control my destination, my destiny, so to speak, um, by booking the airfare. Now I don't mind sometimes if they pay for the hotel or they, cause if it's at the resort, you know, they have room blocks, they sort of set it up for you. You just say, I'm arriving this date and I want to leave on this date. Yeah. The most opti- the most optimal. And I've run into this so many times, you know, like you can either charge a per diem or you could allow the client to uh, just allow you to charge food or whatever you're going to do to your room and then they pay it, they pay it, which means you're on what's called master account, meaning that you can charge anything to your room. When you check into that hotel, you do not put your credit card down. You put the, there's just one there for you. Now, even with as much as I've done, I've had that happen about four or five times. Generally you check in, you put your own credit card down for incidentals, but I'm billing for, per diem. So then I have to bill the client back. You just, again, don't take advantage. Don't get a massage because the client is you're on open account with the client, you know, do something reasonable. Now I've been at nice resorts before. And the day after it's one thing I like to do is go get a massage. I just took my own credit card to the spa and I paid for the massage myself. So it didn't show up on the client's bill. I absolutely know that if I would have left it on the client's bill, they would have paid it. But I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to raise that flag. So, uh, but I've noticed many times when you, you know, you go to leave and it's supposed to be on account that it's not. So you need to really verify all that stuff when you check in, if that's what you've worked out with the client, you know, or they'll tell you, here's another thing. They've used their credit card to reserve the room, to hold the room. But then when you go to check out all the room fees and everything are going on your card because the client hadn't, you know, 
come by and give in their actual credit card to make sure that your room fees go on that card. So when you check in, even if the incidentals go on your credit card, you give a credit card for your incidentals and you make sure that the room fees and all the taxes are going to the client and ask that in the beginning because when you're checking out and headed to the airport, if there's a problem, it's too late. You're gonna have to deal with the client afterwards. It's all gonna get charged to your card. You're not gonna get paid for over 30 days from the client generally. So it's it's one of those things to know going into it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's let's switch gears a little. I want to talk about just packing gear, what you take with you. But before that, there's another important piece I think that a lot of people um, probably may overlook or don't think about, and that's just um, visas and permits and things to be able to go and shoot in different countries. What have you encountered in terms of some of the common places that you've gone and, and photographed? Have you run ever run into any problems with getting visas or work permits? Um, any of that kind of okay, stuff. Okay, so knock on wood. I'm knocking on my wooden desk yet. I've never had a problem, but you do need to do your research before you go into certain countries, especially Canada. We're tough up here, eh? Oh, my gosh. Getting over the border in Canada back and forth is like Fort Knox. Um, and you just have to check into that and see if you do need those work visas and um, I've never actually acquired one. I heard Mexico is another place, but generally they just sort of let you in and out as long as you don't have too much crap, you know, try to look like you're not going to photograph wedding as much as possible. You don't have to take your whole studio with you, um, you know, travel light, but, um, you do need to research that because there are some places where you just, you know, they'll turn you away if they know you're there. And here's why it's because you're making money in their country and they're not getting taxes on it for you know, so there it is. Yep. It comes down to the mighty dollar. Um, I generally, uh, let's use the word fib, uh, when I go through customs. So, um, you know, I'm there to attend a friend's wedding, even if they see all my equipment and they're like, well, why do you have all this camera equipment? Well, I'm, I'm a photographer. I love photography. I bring, I'm on vacation. I'm going to come down here to take pictures. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't have to know any more than that. The NSA is listening in. You're just now on a no fly list. <laughs> so, um, you know that, and that's, that's the case. You're like, I'm allowed to have cameras. You do. That's another thing you need to check into in some uh, countries. Uh, you're only allowed, like if you look when you're flying in and out and it's a little late once you're on the plane, but you're only allowed like two bodies. Yep. Cuba is only one. Cuba, four, you're only allowed one. Four lenses. I don't know. I'm not Canadian, so I don't get to go to Cuba. Oh, you will soon. You will. No, soon. I know. I know. There's a lot of people. It's one of my. Yeah. It's one of my spots. I'd love to go to. Um, and so you do have to check that because they will. Um, they will stop you as well as even coming back into the United States. I've two different times. Um, one coming back from Italy once, and one coming back from. I don't know. They were both. I was in Europe. And the United States, you know, I have all this equipment and you're supposed to file this customs form before you leave saying, here's everything I'm taking with me and here's everything I'm bringing back. Um, and they check it because basically they're thinking too that you bought the equipment abroad and you're trying to avoid paying taxes coming back into the United States. Now, both times that happened, again, I played dumb and I didn't know the first time actually that I had to have that form. The second time I just played dumb again and I got away with it. But, you know, it's something that you might want to consider if you're going to take a lot of equipment. 
um, I've had traveling into Mexico, really deep Mexico. I think I was like two hours from, I think it's uh, not Nicaragua, um, whatever is the borders, what's below Mexico. Anyway, we don't have to do geography today. Geography, no, it's too early in the morning. But this is TWIP web, not TWIP geography. Um, but I brought a, it was for a celebrity wedding and I brought an iMac, you know, and I had a Pelican case for it and the whole bit. Well, they oh, only, okay. they only allow one computer, but only a laptop. So uh, okay. they stopped me in this little tiny, you know, one customs agent in this little tiny town, wherever we were coming in the airport. And, um, long story, I had to end up paying like $300 as like a, fee to like get the computer in, right. um, which ultimately I passed on to the client, but it caused an hour at the airport and it's a pain. No rubber gloves involved. I hope. No, no rubber gloves. I didn't have to bend over, drop the soap, any of that. Okay, good. Excellent. So another question then with, in terms of like licenses and permits and, and visas and those kinds of things, what about at the actual resorts? Cause I've heard stories and it's never happened to me personally, but I've heard stories of photographers showing up to photograph a destination wedding. And then the, the, the actual resort won't allow them onto the property because they have a resort photographer and they don't permit any outside photographers to come in. And so they find out you're a photographer. Sorry, you can't come on the property. Have you heard of that or have you encountered that? I guess similar. I've never heard of the resort not allowing it. So that's something that you need to discuss with the bride and groom ahead of time. And you, you know, you say to them, okay, so they know that you're bringing in your own photographer. I mean, going to this job I'm going to in a week, Cancun, I've Skyped with the planner at the hotel this week or the girl who's planning the wedding. So they know, you know, obviously that I'm doing it. Uh, I'm actually working with a local videographer that I worked with ironically last April when I was down in Cancun. So, you know, they're like, Oh, Ben's excited to work with you. And you know, like, so it's funny, it's like working in my own town, yeah. but um, you just want to make sure that ahead of time. So you do not run into that because if you get down there, of course, as the photographer and the resort says to you, Oh, sorry, you can't work here. You can't shoot here because we only hire local and you don't have a permit or, or whatever, or that's what they could pull on you. Like, okay, well, where's your permit to work in our country? Yeah. You know, to, to be doing this job here. And then you don't have anything. And so if you discuss that ahead of time with the bride and groom and they're like, yep, they know you're coming. Um, but you didn't look into it or you didn't get your permit and they call you on it, then the bride and groom's going to stare at you. It's not going to be their fault. But if the bride and groom don't tell them that they're bringing a photographer and you show up, well, then it's their fault. But ultimately, you know, it's just not a great situation. So you want to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be the worst, kind of the worst case scenario, right? So do your research ahead of time, know where you're going, you know, learn what the rules are in that country that you're going to. Like I mentioned Cuba, they only allow one camera. So I know a friend of mine, she shot down in Cuba a few times. And what she does is she um, just, usually she's shooting by herself. She doesn't go down with a second shooter. So typically what she's done in the past is given her second body to somebody that's in the wedding party. Uh, father of the bride or somebody else right. and they take they take her second body in for her so then both are you know then she's got her two cameras and, and everything that she needs so sometimes you just have to get a little creative in terms of right. what you're packing where you're so bringing. if you're going to wherever it is you know and the bride and groom oh yeah the you know the, here's the people we're dealing with at the hotel or wherever the wedding's going to be ask for that person's contact number email them, call them, Skype with them, say, Hey, I'm coming down. Are there any rules, regulations, things I need to know, work permits, 
you know, all of that stuff. And ask the hotel because so then you've also covered your ground because if you got there and somebody else tells you something, you can go back and like, oh, well, no, 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 no. This person told me I was good to go. I asked this question. I have emails to support that. Now, that may not help you at an airport, but I mean, if you're at the hotel and you, you run into that, and this sounds all scary, but like, I really haven't run into much of this. Um, but it's, again, it's best to do your homework. You know, visa is a whole different thing. You're not even going to get into a country if you don't have a visa. So if you ever go to a country such as Australia, for instance, that requires a visa to go, um, then you need to do all that or you won't be traveling. Um, you might, here's another thing. Uh, the United States or countries don't allow you to travel with your passport if it's about to expire within six months. So mm -hmm. even if you have a passport and your passport's, you know, going to expire soon or even under a year, I just make it a regular practice. Go renew your passport. Don't put off getting your passport if you don't have one. As soon as you know you need to do this wedding, you know, go through the process. You go to your local post office, you get an application, you turn it in, it takes two to three months. You can rush them, but it's quite a lot more expensive and yeah. no need to do that unless you get a last minute destination wedding, for instance, and then you pass those rush fees along to your client. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know in Canada here, they just recently changed it. Now we can get a uh, passport. It's good for 10 years now, which is nice. They used to be five years. So that's kind of good, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's a good point. Check that yeah, out. The U.S. is 10. I think mine expires in 2019. Ah, how about um, vaccinations? I didn't think I thought about that yeah. as another thing. Have you, uh, places you've traveled, have you gotten vaccinations and things? Um... I've never had to take the needle in the backside yet for yet. Okay. exotic locations that I've been to, but it's a great point. Uh, I know Africa, a lot of those definitely vaccinations there. You know, it's a, it's a good thing to research. Like, you know, we have Google, hey, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Do I need to get shots? Is there yep. any special, you know? Um, another one is, is just considering your own safety. You mm -hmm. travel into a foreign country with expensive camera equipment. <laughs> um, you know, I've heard Jamaica even, popular place for destination weddings, but I've heard many stories of people sort of getting mugged there. And, you know, basically everybody has their own experiences, but I've heard like you go to Jamaica, you just stay in your resort. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Yep. For sure. Yeah, we went to we went to India a few years ago and shot a destination wedding in India. And we so we went and got a lot of vaccinations and things. We probably went a little overboard in terms of what you know, what we needed, but we thought we'd rather be safe than be safe than sorry. Right. So how about packing um, gear? So we talked about, you know, licenses and how we, you know, charge for our weddings and stuff. Um, what about gear? Does uh, when you go to a destination wedding, does it change the, the gear that you bring with you? Or is it do you bring pretty much the same kit that you would on a, on a local wedding when you're doing a destination wedding? I tend to pack lighter, of course, because you're <clears throat> you're carrying equipment through a, a airport. So the more weight you have, the more cumbersome it is. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, overhead space, luggage fees, you know, those things. So you want to kind of consider, I generally, depending on where I go, I don't take strobes with me other than like off-camera flash. Yeah. Um, where I might have that at home. But yeah, I tend to like, you know, smaller bodies, fewer lenses, just take the necessities and the things that I need. <clears throat> um, and of course, lots of backup, like as, as far as batteries, battery chargers, 
things that you don't want to like fly down there. Oh, I forgot all my battery chargers and now you're really screwed. And, and on that also remember plugs too. So that if you're going to another place where they have a different plug or a different power, um, requirements. Yeah. I have like converters that like I plug into the wall that convert, you know, 220 to 110. Yep. That you don't blow up your camera equipment when you plug it into the wall. Yeah. That would not be, that would not be good. (laughs) So I would imagine trying to find replacement gear or rent gear or find a camera store or something like that when you're in a foreign country is probably not going to be that easy. Um, you know, they don't don't necessarily have B and H down the street or, uh, or Amazon that you can one day drop ship something to yourself Mm -hmm. if you're in the middle of Jamaica or something. So, yeah. So you want to make sure you're covered. Um, you know, like camera batteries, if, you know, let's say you shoot Canon and you have two batteries that go in your vertical grip and that usually gets you through one wedding and that's all you have. I might consider buying two more. Yep. I was going to have a spare. With you fully charged, you know, so that, you know, should you not be able to plug your batteries in or whatever, you know, you're good to go. Yeah. Now do you, do you bring all your gear or as much of your gear as you can on, on board in the carry on or do you, is there anything you ever check? My computers and my cameras are always on the plane with me. You're allowed uh, two overhead uh, in the United States. Um, so I make sure that I have camera bags that that works with. So I have a computer bag and a camera bag. <clears throat> Sometimes my camera bag, I have a Tamarack camera bag that the computer does fit in. And I try to get it all in one bag just so that I don't have to. Um, and then if I do bring lights for whatever reason, those will go under the plane in it, you know, protective case, but my clothes lights, that stuff would go under the plane, but cameras and computers go on the plane with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think we pretty much do the same as we'll take, you know, as much as we can on the plane, you know, cameras, lenses, <laughs> and then the, uh, for sure the, you know, camera bodies, memory cards, all that stuff goes with us on the plane. And then, yeah, anything lights and stuff like that, that, you know, it would suck if that stuff got lost or didn't make it to the other end, but we could still, if we had our cameras and our lenses, we could still do our, we could do our job, maybe not as well as if we had our lighting with us and you know, situations and circumstance, but um, again, try to carry as much as we can with us, you know, on the plane and uh, not not check it. Which then brings up an important point in returning home. I know you probably were going to ask this, but um, of course, before you've left the hotel, you've backed hopefully your uh, wedding up, at least downloaded it. I put it on two separate drives just so that I have it. You know, I always bring two drives with me to the destination. Yeah. And then, of course, I don't erase the card. So I keep, um, you know, that, all that stuff's with me, of course, in my computer and or my camera bag. But I keep the cards on my body. Mm, yeah that's uh, so good. worst comes to worst something happened that's also a good practice like wouldn't leaving a wedding no matter where you are if somebody were to like try to take your equipment take your yep. cards out of your camera keep them on your body you know in the case and if someone came and robbed you for instance and took all your camera equipment at least you have the cards that hopefully your equipment's insured yeah that's a good tip yeah we um, when we did that <laughs> india one when we shot in india we uh we went and brought two two drives with us and we were going to do some traveling afterwards. So we weren't coming home right after the wedding. We were spending about three weeks in India and Nepal traveling. So what we did is we kept the, obviously the cards and the one copy uh, with us. And then the other drive we actually gave to our couple. Um, now it was, in, it was encrypted. It was like password encrypted. So they couldn't, 
do anything to it. Right. But so then they had it in their luggage and they carried it with them and then just gave it back to us when we got back um, home to Canada. So that way we knew that if anything happened to any of our stuff, they would also have a copy of the images too. So, right. And even, even within the hotel, um, you know, whenever you're staying, you're in a foreign country, you have to remember that. Now I'm pretty trusting and I leave my gear out. I try not to spread it all out the room to advertise. Yeah, it. You're like, here's all my stuff, <laughs> uh, but it's in the bags and it's in my room. But you know, after you shoot the wedding, you download the wedding and you stay a day or two or a week or whatever it is, I put the, you know, those drives, uh, in the safe. Yep you know, and lock that stuff up so that again, you know, the equipment's there and if they see it, they're not going to bother to go into your safe too, generally. Excellent. Um, So what about um, just tips for shooting in, you know, I guess, again, a lot of destination weddings. I mean, it's not necessarily the case, but a lot of when people think destination wedding, it's usually you're shooting in more of a tropical climate. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what a lot of people imagine of, of a destination wedding. Any tips for um, shooting in a, in a tropical or really, really warm or really humid environment. Yeah. I mean, just dealing strictly with the humidity part of it, you know, if you keep your stuff in your air conditioned hotel room and you come out into an 85, 90 degree, you know, 80% humidity, your lenses will immediately fog up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Experience that Um, in Cancun in August. yep. Yep. So don't freak out. Um, you have to let them sort of acclimate. You can use a lens cloth and, and clean them, but they'll still kind of look fogged up. You just have to give them a certain amount of time to sort of acclimate to the humidity and then that they will clear up. Um, so that's, that's one thing to know. Um, yeah. One thing we did was we, cause we were shooting kind of in the room and outside of the room, like we were shooting the dress outside the room and different things. So what we did was we left one camera out on, on our balcony where we were shooting and then had our other camera inside. So that way when we went outside to shoot like the dress and some details or our, our room had a huge wraparound balcony. So the girls actually went outside. Um, so we would just then go pick up that camera that was outside and then leave it outside. And then, but we were, you know, obviously wouldn't want to just leave it outside your hotel room door or something right, like that. Right. You know, but you're, that brings up a good point. Let's say you're shooting, getting ready here in the bride's room and then you go outside and come back in, you go outside, you know, your camera's going to be like, wait a minute, you know? So, um, you know, you definitely have to consider that. Um, another one I think is give yourself plenty of time to scout another advantage. And another sort of thing you can tell the couple is like, you know, Hey, I need to get there uh, a little bit of extra time to, to sort of scout. I want to see the lighting, what it looks like at four o'clock the day before, you know, which is the ceremony time or whatever your start time is or whatever. So I have a good idea of what lighting is going to look like. Um, now I always see it as an advantage to of course shoot at some place that I haven't worked at before, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a whole new canvas to paint on. Um, but I want to walk around and see, you know, the lighting and what it's going to look like that time of day when I'm going to be shooting, um, walk the hotel extensively. You know, there's little nooks and crannies and things in hotels that you can find that are exciting that you may not know if you just sort of don't go beyond the obvious and look within the, you know, 300 feet around the ceremony and where you're going to be, you might find some really unique locations. Um, you mentioned doing, you know, a, a shoot the day afterwards, a trash the dress or just, you know, some sort of fun shoot. Like, yeah, maybe on the wedding day, you can't do that. But if you walk around and scout, you find something that's really amazing, but you think, Oh my gosh, there's no way the bride's really going to do this. Maybe you talk her into doing it the next day or, you know, you, it's, it's how you sell it and you get excited. You're like, Oh my gosh, I found this location. It's, 
500 yards down the beach from your resort, like in between our resort and the next resort. But like, oh my gosh, I want to shoot here. And, you know, would you guys be up to do that, you know, maybe after the ceremony or the next day or, you know, whatever it is. You know, so that's, I think, super important to, you know, know your surroundings, become familiar with them, find, you know, you're down there to shoot someplace different, then find something different, find something that's going to excite you. Yeah. Does your timelines uh, differ a lot when you're shooting destination ways? Is that something you talk to your couples about? Because obviously, you know, ideally you want to probably get, you know, get them at that sunset time if they're wanting those beautiful beach photos, right? And not at one o'clock in the afternoon if you're down in Cancun. Right. right? And I still try to discuss it. I still, you know, we've talked about it here. I like to run on a three hour timeline prior to ceremony, getting my couples to see each other. Um, as a matter of fact, the one that I'm going down to do this weekend, you know, when I had that conference call with the planner a couple of days ago on Skype, you know, she's like, Robert, what time do you want ceremony to end? You know, she's giving me the option. And I said, well, what time is sunset? She said it's at 645. So um, it was about an hour and a half ceremony. And I was like, wow. I'm like, okay. I said, well, ideally, I'd like to end at 630. You know, it'll be beautiful for them. I still have a little bit of light. It's like that kind of nice time of day. I'll try to get my couples, especially on a location like that, if they're willing to do it. Like I say, when you kiss and say, I do, like go for a walk, like just keep going, keep going down the aisle and down the beach and I'll follow you with a long lens and, you know, almost like a second first look and take some candids and just sort of enjoy the moment. You know, we'll stop when you're ready and maybe take five, 10 minutes of pictures. But ideally I've done all my stuff ahead of time and I don't have to do anything else. And this is sort of bonus time for me. Um, so I'm timing it that way. Even if I have to do a couple family groups that didn't happen prior to, I still have enough light. Cause even as you know, once the sun sets, we can probably still shoot for half an hour yeah. you know, of, before that happens. Um, so yeah, I mean, I try to run on the same timelines. I mean, in here I was like given this, the opportunity to plan. I was like, well, whatever you want. And so I talked with her two days ago. Uh, my client lives locally. So I'm meeting with them tonight at 530. We're going to go out dinner and I'm going to go over all the same things that I just went over with the planner that I've already done with the makeup artist. You know, the makeup artist called me, asked me what she wanted as far as her timeline. I told her, this is how I want to do it. Three hours, first look, blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, everyone's going to be on the same page and you're going to just, you know, you got to, that's another great point is you're going to this beautiful place, create a situation so that you have, if you don't have the best light, you can't always do that, but try to work it around that, but give yourself time to shoot. Again, I, I say, do you shoot what you want or do you shoot what you get? And most photographers shoot what they get because they don't take the time to create a situation for themselves so that they have time to actually create beautiful images that excite them instead of just covering a wedding and getting the basics. Yeah. I've heard another photographer, a friend of mine said, you know, give me a half an hour of awesome light. I'd take that over two hours in really crappy light. Right. Right. So, you know, kind of apply that to your Sometimes we whatever. don't have, you know, the ability to control, you know, the, the bride and groom pick one o'clock in the middle of the day and high sun because it's the only, whatever we don't know. Yeah. But you know, ideally like, and again, if you want to sort of control some of those things, you know, when the client's coming to you and booking you hopefully a long time before the wedding, start talking about those things. Like, you know, well, what time sunset that day? Have you guys looked into that? You know, we should do the ceremony later or earlier or whatever it is, you know, uh, you're hiring me as the expert to take pictures while I'm the light expert. So I'm, this is, you know, when we should be doing photos at this time. And, you know, so if you can make that happen for yourself, you're going to be a lot happier because you're going to get better images. The worst thing I think is you, you know, you go 3000 miles to a beautiful location 
and the client doesn't utilize your talents. Yeah. Because, because they did it their way and you didn't, you, you know, you could sit back and go, well, I could have done so much more if I had more time or, you know, whatever. And that's why I like to do it before. So I have an hour and not 15 minutes. And, you know, you, you've got to work it into your favor. Yeah. Carpe diem, seize the moment. Seize the moment. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, I think we've covered the topic fairly well. Again, we could probably go into more detail in terms of, of how you go about shooting in, in, in a destination location, but maybe we'll save that for another day. And, um, Let's move on because we do have a listener question this week that's actually related to destination weddings. Um, and so let's ask that. So this week we've got a question. Uh, it's from Roy in our Facebook group. And Roy is he's shooting his first uh, wedding as a primary shooter at the end of the month in Colombia. Has anyone ever been there or shot there that can give me advice about Columbia and or traveling tips? So I think we've given some traveling tips for Roy. So hopefully, you know, that'll apply no matter where you're going, but specifically Columbia. Have you shot in Columbia before? Uh, no, Guatemala, I think is the closest, uh, that I've got to Columbia. Um, but I think so going back to some of the tips that we gave before, you know, contact the wedding planner, talk to your bride and groom, Find out, you know, any rules or regulations. Um, are you in a safe neighborhood and not safe neighborhood? Yep. Um, you know, all those things, you know, it's what it's, it's one thing that's just stressful going to a foreign country that you've never been to. And now you're sort of adding like, Oh, I'm going to a foreign country and I'm responsible for capturing someone's wedding images. So you have to be, I think a lot more vigilant and active and, and just, you know, answer the questions, everything that you want to know. Don't just show up and go, Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it, but hopefully you get that from experience. So hopefully we gave some good advice in, in the first part of the show that that will help Roy. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it would just be redundant to, you know, answer that. I mean, I did answer it, but you know, it's a lot of what we just talked about in this show. So, yeah. So hopefully that helps Roy, um, follow up with us, Roy, uh, you know, tell us how it goes after you've shot the wedding in, in, uh, in Columbia, let us know, uh, leave a, leave a message on our Facebook group and let us know how it went. And another quick point too, would be, um, so he's doing a wedding in Columbia. I'm going to go ahead and assume the clients are Colombian. Um, you know, how about digging into, okay. Any unique traditions that Colombians do at weddings that, Good point. that, uh, that we don't do here in the United States if, if Roy is in fact from the United States, but wherever you are from, um, you know, again, asking the bride, asking the planner that you might contact at the hotel, just knowing, you know, to expect, Oh, I didn't know that they were going to do, you know, that this, you know, the same thing. I just had that conference call at the Cancun planner. Uh, I'm shooting a rehearsal dinner, which is a, which is like a boat cruise to an Island. They're going to do a fire show with fire dancers and an led show. I was like, well, that sounds kind of cool. I've never shot LEDs before, but, you know, I've shot enough fireworks and those things that, uh, that I know to expect that. And then on the night of the wedding, there's also fireworks. So we kind of get the whole gamut, but that's stuff that I want to know about. And yes, I guess I would eventually found out about it. So um, just like the call that I had with my planner for my Cancun wedding, uh, I talked to her and she told me at the rehearsal dinner, there's a, a boat cruise to an island. And then once we get there, of course, there's dinner, there's fire dancers. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then there's an LED show. I don't think I've ever shot an LED light show at a wedding. I think it's the new cheaper version of fireworks. Okay. Uh, yeah, but the next night at the wedding, there is fireworks. So it's just sort of 
even though they're not traditions, and I know that's kind of why I went off that, it's sort of getting that information and knowing what I'm up against. But, you know, going back to the tradition part, there might be something at a Colombian wedding, especially during the ceremony that happens, and you don't shoot it, and that was the most important part of the ceremony. So mm-hmm. you get that information, of course, from the bride, shame on her for not telling you, but shame on you for not asking. Yeah, just like you would do, I think, at any wedding, right? You, you try to find out as, as much as you can about what's going to happen and, and the details. But you're right, when you're going to another country, they may have certain, there might be cultural things uh, that you have to be aware of as well. I mean, being a, you know, a foreigner in a foreign country, sometimes you can get away with certain things, and, but you want to try to not make any cultural faux pas. So do your research ahead of time before you go to a country if there's certain ways you greet people or there's certain customs or certain traditions, you want to make sure that you're being respectful of that as well. And, and you know, particularly if you're in, if you've never shot one of those types of weddings before, um, you want to make sure that, you know, you're not yeah. causing any cultural. Um, and we touched on this, but make sure you don't need a visa to get into that country. Like your passport will get you there. You know, those type of things. Know yeah, what the, absolutely. know what the, you know, how much, like you mentioned, only one camera in Cuba, so maybe Colombia only allows that. Like, know what equipment you can take in and out. You can find all that, of course, on the internet by going to those countries, uh, you know, immigration sites. Yep. Or check, they, most countries usually have a consulate or a consul general office that you can, that you can talk to. So you can call those offices too and say, you know, here's where I'm going, this is what I'm doing, you know, what can you tell me? And they're good about helping out as well. So that's what they're there for. Excellent. Well, hopefully that helps Roy uh, with his uh, destination wedding. Again, we want to hear from you and answer your questions. So just head on over to thisweekinphoto.com. You can leave your questions and comments on the blog post for this episode. Or you can also submit your questions by emailing us at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. All right, before we wrap it up, we've got our last uh, segment, which is our picks of the week. And each episode, we'll share a photography-related item that we think would benefit wedding photographers. Our picks can be anything as long as they're somehow related to photography or the business of photography. And Robert, what have you got for us? What's your pick this week? I think I might know. Well, no, we were geeking out before the show because, of course, the show doesn't go live. And so by the time you guys listen to this, it'll be old news. But Tony just announced some uh, the new A6000 and a couple new lenses. But I'm going to stick with my original pick of the week, but I got to give my Sony shout out. Um, since I missed the last episode, you guys talked about uh, off-camera flash and flash. Mm. Yes. Uh, I was not feeling well. Um I saw something that I do not have yet, so I want you to know that, but it intrigued me because uh, uh, they just, they're making it for Sony, but of course it's made for Canon and Nikon and are available. And I know there's many on the market, but this is uh, Photix. It's the Odin 2 TTL flash triggers. Um, and so there's a, you know, a trigger that goes on your camera and a trigger that goes onto the flash and you can uh, Control up to 32 flashes, should you be so crazy. Um, right at the touch of your button, there's like a little screen and you see like, you know, uh, flash A, flash B, flash C, flash C, and you can, you know, raise them up a stop, lower them stop, you know, so right there at your camera, ideally it's probably on a tripod at this point, but, uh, you know, you can just go to the first flash, oh, I need to turn that up, turn that down. So you basically can have like studio flashes, but with off-camera flashes. So looks pretty, uh, looks pretty interesting. Price point is, let's see, I'm on the website. Um, wasn't that bad, you know, like this stuff can get expensive. And I saw, um, if I go to B&H, the, this is for, uh, these are for Nikon. 
Um, the transmitter is $210 and the receiver is $160. So it's not bad. The same thing for the Canon. Um, $4,000 Canadian. <laughs> yeah, but 4,000 Canadian, so sorry, Canada. Sorry, Canada. But uh, yeah, so that looks kind of exciting and I just sort of wanted to, I guess, tail in and contribute to the last episode. And those of you that didn't listen to it, you can go back and hear uh, Bruce and Brian talk about off-camera flash. Excellent. So that's the Fotex Odin 2 flash triggers. Again, we'll put links to that. Well, my pick uh, this week is something I haven't personally used, but I do know I, I learned about it from uh, David Dushman. And it's a service called MedJet Assist. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. So MedJet Assist is basically, uh, it's travel insurance, but it's more than just travel insurance. Um, what it will do is if you find yourself in a situation where you need medical uh, care, uh, they will actually uh, basically aerovac your air vacuum out of wherever you happen to be in the world uh, back to your home country for, you know, like hospital care. Um, so this happened actually to David Duchemin several years ago. He was leading a photography tour in, I believe it was in Italy. And he was there a few days before his students were going to arrive and he was out doing some location scouting and he just, he lost sense of where he was standing and he was focused more on getting a good, a really cool angle and leaned over this bridge and ended up falling off this bridge. I think he fell about 20, 20 feet landed on his feet 20 feet down basically just shattered both his legs like just destroyed his legs they were surprised that he lived um and so he spent a couple of days in hospital in italy to get stabilized and then as soon as he was stable enough to fly he had this med med jet assist um insurance which wasn't very expensive i think it i looked at a basic ones about 400 bucks a year and for that they basically flew him out on a private medical aircraft with i think on board was a doctor and a nurse and flew him all the way back from italy back to canada so that he could then get um to you know on canadian soil as a canadian citizen and then he was able to get um care here in canada so for you know about 400 bucks it was about probably about a hundred thousand dollar flight so you had to do that yourself and get medivac mm -hmm. from a country. Right. Um, so it's called MedJet Assist, um, and it's medjetassist.com. And you can go on there and you can enroll. And they have different programs depending on how much you travel. If you're doing a lot of travel, like Robert, you might sign up um, at one level. Uh, if you just need to do just a short-term thing, like they have an eight-day term for an individual, is 99 bucks. So if I were going to a country... Say Colombia, say like Roy going to Colombia. Right. And I'm just like, well, I know I'm going to be in Colombia for these 10 days. So I just basically insure myself for those 10 days. Yep. And then if something happens to you and you find yourself in a situation where you need to, you know, a surgery or an operation or what have you, they'll actually med, med, med just assist you out of there. So they'll fly you out on a medical um, flight. Hey, for $99, that sounds worth it. Yeah, so definitely something to look into. Again, I haven't personally um, had need to, to use this. But, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Uh, but David Duchemin had been, had been signing up for this for years and years and years and years and never, you know, never had to use it and then had this major you know, accident while he was in Italy. And so thankfully he had this and, and uh, was able to get him out of the country and on Canadian soil. So 
something to check out. So if you are shooting a lot of destination weddings, uh, you know, take a look at that, but at the very minimum, make sure of course that you do have, you know, per- personal travel insurance, insurance on your gear as well. That those are things we didn't really talk about too yeah. much, but I think definitely those are things you want to also mm-hmm. make sure that you have is, is insurance. Yep. Don't want to travel without that. Cause you never know when something could happen. Excellent. Well, hopefully that was a beneficial episode for our listeners that are either shooting destination weddings or, or contemplating shooting destination weddings. Uh, but again, if you've got uh, questions for us, email us, get on our Facebook group, send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, that brings us to the end of another episode. So uh, Robert, where can, uh, where can people go if they want to catch up with your latest <clears throat> happenings? Well, if you want to see uh, my work, of course, you can always go to my website, which is robertevans.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, which those are both at Robert Evans. And my Facebook page is Robert Evans Studios. Um, and of course, don't forget our Facebook group. You want to ask a question, uh, go on Facebook. It's TwipWed. And we are happy to help as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking for me, as always, you can visit my website. It's uh, momentsindigital.com. If you're looking for me on Twitter or Instagram, that's where I'm hanging out mostly, or Facebook, um, just at Bruce Clark on those social networks. And of course, be sure to visit the uh, website at thisweekinphoto.com for our show and all the other great shows that are on the thisweekinphoto network. And uh, thanks again for listening to Twip Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. 